0: How many are ready to study the word this morning? Well, the title of the message this morning is Pink or Elijah. I'm going to be teaching not about the two stories, but uh, the message around the two stories that impact us as believers. You know, I, I assume that you all read the story of Pinchas and are familiar with it, and you've already heard the story of Elijah. And in this case, in this parashah, the portion of Elijah is about his um, interaction and confrontation with the prophets, the 450 prophets of Baal, and Pinkas is with the issue of Baal Peor, uh, the, the god that's a, f- I like to, I look at these gods that, that Israel struggled with and as I was sharing with Ribesim this morning, um, these gods are really gods that are physical gods, you know and and they're they've been created by man um... now clearly there's demons and there's there's spirits and all of that and and we see in some in some uh... cultures where they create physical idols and they have holes in the back where they allege that spirits go in and possess these these statues and they become alive uh... but but they're really when you look at the contrast between The one living God that we worship and these gods that have been created by man, um, there's a difference between the physical and the spiritual and God is spirit and he hates the fact that people will worship physical gods and forget about him being spirit. And that's the real context, the separation between these two. There is no comparison between all these other gods. They've all been created by, by humans. Um, and, and the spirits that float around are, are things that are associated with the enemy. So we see, we see these two differences that, that really cause God to be jealous. Why would you worship these physical things when, when I am your father and I am spirit? Um, it's because it's hard for humans to get in contact with the spiritual world, and yet we are both physical and we are spirit, so, and we know that both of these two existences fight with each other internally in these bodies, and they struggle. So sometimes, like a balloon, if you squeeze one end, the air goes big on one end, small on the other. You switch it, it goes the other way. Many times, that's the way we live our lives. Sometimes we're in the flesh, and sometimes we're in the spirit. But the true balance, the equalization, is when both of them are equal in, in pressure on both sides. And that is through uh, being filled with the Ruach Kakodesh and studying his scriptures and his word. So, today's parashah titled Pinkas, Pinkas is the Hebrew word for Phineas, which is the English uh, translation. Now, Pinkas was the grandson of Aharon. Bamibar, Numbers 25.11, says this,
1: Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel because he was zealous from, with my zeal among them, so that I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. So,
0: all of you all laughed because you heard that little voice of one of the little ones that went out. But that's a third generation. That's a third generation that has a father and a mother and a grandfather, and a grandmother. So there's three generations. And so that's where I want to focus the attention on the teaching is about these three generations and what the impact is on these. So we see where um, the Word of God helps to deepen our insight if you're willing to look for it. So let's look into a deeper insight into God's Word. The Word of God demonstrates the importance of teaching our children and our grandchildren God's Word. Very important to pass it from generation to generation. Many of you know that years ago, the Lord (coughs) pressed upon my heart to focus in on the next generation and the next generation and to focus in on the children. And, And we began to call them up and pray over them every week. Um, and, and this is very significant for our community and it's significant for all believers' communities. It's very important to focus in on the gen- next generation and the generation after that. Proverbs 22, verse 6 in Ephesians 6, 4 says this.
1: Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Now, if you have a pen
0: or a pencil or something, I would encourage you to write down this next verse because it's an encapsulation verse about the significance of teaching the children, instruction to the parents, which says this in Proverbs 1.8. Listen to what it says.
1: My son... Hear the instruction of your father, and do not forsake the law of your mother. Now,
0: there's two things here. Instruction of your father. Where's the instruction of your father come from? It comes from the Torah, the Nevi'im, the Ketuvim, the B'ret Chodesha, the complete scriptures, both the Old Testament and the New. That's the instructions of your father who's to be studying the word of God and passing it on to his children as the leader of the family. But it also says, do not forsake the law, the law, not instruction, the law of your mother. Where does this come from? Well, this is the law at home. This is the instruction of the mother at home. You know, there's an old saying that says that the man is the head of the household, But the woman is the neck. And the head doesn't turn either way unless the woman allows it to happen. Right? So we see where the law of the mother is important in the house. It sets the tone for the instruction. Not necessarily based upon what's out of the courts of law, not of the religious courts, or even those kinds of instructions. But it is the law from a God-fearing mother who leads her children in the faith? There are many that have found faith through the path of the mother, not necessarily the father, because the father was not providing the instruction that was necessary. And we know that scripture, Rav, uh, Rav Shaul, the Apostle Paul, talks about it that when you have a, a mother that's a believer in the home and she's married to someone who's not a believer, what happens to the children? You have a believer and an unbeliever. What's the condition of the children? They're sanctified as a result of the mother. And the reverse goes for the father. If you have a father but an unbelieving mother, the children are sanctified, set apart, so that they have the opportunity of hearing the word of God and being instructed in that, in that, that uh, corporate setting of the family with the hopes that they would have when they reach that age of understanding, to accept Yeshua as their Mashiach. Now, just like a Jewish family lineage is established within three generations, it's rabbinic teaching, so too is the reverse true. For a complete departure of a family lineage in three generations, from God without his word and without actions of serving him in their lives there's something about threes that it only takes three generations for things to go south depending upon how you church that's why complacency that's why uh, compromise have an impact you have to stay the course in all generations now now it's God's divine providence that he allows for those that may be in the third generation, the fourth and the fifth, where the families have gone completely astray to turn back to God and find God. But I believe that's tied in with the overall remnants, that God will always maintain a remnant in every generation to continue on with the message he has for his creation. In Pincus's case, the word of God in serving him did not become boring. That's one of the excuses you hear. But rather, he maintained his zealousness, as did his father and his grandfather before him. Consistency, maintaining the same zeal for God, the same level is important throughout the generations for a strong, cohesive family unit. The significance here, I believe, was that even though this generation was corrupt, that Pincus was in, by other gods to worship, God still knew a remnant would still stay true to worship him, serve him, and would continue to follow his word. This is why we must continue to share our faith with the upcoming generations until he, the big H, he, Yeshua returns and or we go to the grave watching for him whichever comes first. Even though God didn't consume them in his jealousy, God is a very jealous God as I shared in the in the in the introduction to this teaching. What is he jealous of? Well, when his creation When men and women choose to worship other physical gods, Davarim, Deuteronomy 5, 7 through 10, says this,
1: You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those that hate me. But showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. You see the
0: talk in there? It's about physical gods. And also look at the impact of those children. He's calling it out. The impact of being taught about these other gods permeate all the way through in the second and the third generations. That's the impact that it has upon those, those uh, families. Even though he's a zealous, or he, that he's jealous, he keeps his promise and is always compassionate for the sake of the remnant. He may not be aware; it may not appear that that um, uh, he's he's long su- he appears to be long suffering. But he's compassionate because he knows there's this chance that somebody out of this group of people that have turned their back upon the, phys- the spiritual God that we live and follow, the one living God, that out of that would be somebody that chooses to follow him. To heal him, Psalm 78, 37 through 39 says
1: this. For their heart was not steadfast with him, nor were they faithful in his covenant. But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and did not destroy them. Yes, many a time he turned his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. For he remembered that they were but flesh, a breath that passes away and does not come again. Now the story of Pincus demonstrates to us
0: how complacency can happen. The key word with Pincus is complacency. The key word with Elijah is compromise. Compromise. Complacency here means a feeling of contentment or self-satisfaction, especially when coupled with an unawareness of danger, an unawareness of trouble, or an unawareness of controversy. Today, we live in a time of spiritual complacency. In times past, When we face trouble as a nation, the churches and the synagogues would be packed with people. Now they are more and more empty and we are told no need to come together. The TV evangelists did not help the need of coming together as communities. No need when you get spiritually fat sitting at home and your lazy boy watching television and not committing to one another in a community I believe it is the next phase to assist with the great falling away you can come together to protest something but to come together to hear God's word and worship it's becoming a novel idea Believers need to understand why Pincus did not did what he did. What I mean is by understanding Pincus' actions in an example to demonstrate your need of separation from the mixed multitudes in the world. Realize he, he separated himself by the actions he did and refused to be part of the mixed multitudes. Too many are complacent about their faith to the point where they look and act like those of the world and will not defend the faith with God's word as moved by the Ruach HaKodesh, which is key. The movement of that spirit is key on how you step out. Let alone will they volunteer to share the gospel of Yeshua when the opportunity arises, even when they recognize the opportunity. People, we need. We keep preaching it. We need to keep preaching it. Sharing the good news of Yeshua. It is what we are to do as believers so that these who hear may receive the call and search to become a disciple of Yeshua. Do it this week. We continue as we, as we teach from this Bema, all of us, to continue to bring forth the gospel of Yeshua to this world in our travels. Do it this week. Let's look back at last week. How many had the opportunity to do it last week? And how many took action upon that opportunity? Now let's turn our attention to the Haftor portion. We read where Elijah is confronting the 450 prophets of Baal. Here Elijah acts as Pincus did, but it just takes a little longer and it's not as sudden an act as Pincus did. But like Pincus, Elijah knew from in front of whom he stood. Just like we have in front of the Torah table here. Be aware of in front of whom you stand. He knew in front of whom he stood, even though he was
1: amongst the mixed multitudes. 1 Kings 8.15 says this. Then Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today.
0: This message that we have on our Torah table is a reminder that we are to also stand before God and we are to be separate from the nations. It helps remind us that we're separate from the nations. Here, Elijah had to deal with the children of Israel's compromising. Remember? Compromising is associated with Elijah. 1 Kings
1: eighteen twenty through 21 says this, So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him, not a word. Two
0: opinions. Remember, Pincus is complacency. Elijah is compromise. Say it with me. Pincus is complacent. And Elijah is... Today we are confronted with constant compromising by believers, but you have to choose who you are to follow and realize you will be in the minority, the few, the remnant, the one separate from the great falling away that is to come upon the earth and the prelude to when the Antichrist is revealed. So how should you be acting, especially in these end times? 2 Thessalonians
1: 2, 2 through 3 says this. Not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition.
0: If there is, and we are in, a great falling away, those who believe in Yeshua, those who believe Yeshua, which is Hebrew for Jesus, have to choose to be separate as the spiritual separation occurs first. There's a spiritual separation that begins to emerge. Before the physical separation I believe that the physical, the spiritual separation occurs before the physical separation. And it will be evident. It is becoming more and more evident. And then that physical separation is going to result in some of the things that will occur during the tribulation times to separate us. The markings, the marking on the forehead, the marking on the hand, and and the allegiance to what those marks represent. Now, if they choose not to, then their complacency and compromising will result in them being numbered among the nations and not among the remnant. 2 Corinthians six fourteen through 18 says this.
1: Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will will receive you. I will be a father to you, and and you shall be my sons and daughters, says, says the Lord Almighty. So, let me give you an example
0: how many know that airplanes are very automated? They use computers, they're all automated, they talk, they give the pilots examples. When there's something in trouble, there's, there's, an, there's a, a light that comes on, there's, there's voices that come on and they say certain things. One of the things that happens when, when a plane is too near to the ground, what's the voice that comes out of that, of that airplane? What's it say? Anyone know? Anyone heard it? It says, pull up, pull up, pull up. That's what it does. It keeps reminding the pilots that they need to pull up because they're too near to the ground. Pull up. In these end times, people, as the pilots in your life and the pilots of your families, you need to separate, separate, separate. And how do you do this? By javeling everyone that's not like you? Is that the right approach? Yes? How many would like to javel? I mean, there's a lot of people who like to javel, but how many know that that's not the right approach? You need to pause, right? You need to pause like Elijah. You need to pause. First, separate spiritually And then learn how to share God's word and the physical separation will happen. If you separate yourself spiritually, the separation, the physical separation will happen. And guess what? It will happen naturally. How many have tried to share the good news or excitement about you as a believer with unbelievers and you may interact with them for a moment or you may may uh, hang out with them for a while but how many begin to see the separation physically how many wait around their house for the phone call to be invited to a party of a bunch of heathens phone's not gonna ring why because you're gonna be a party killer. You're gonna ruin their party. You're gonna put conviction on them. There's all kinds of things that'll happen. Then it will naturally separate when you believe as a believer, and it will get worse. Separation will continue to occur, but we have to continue to push. We have to continue to push and share the good news. When we have the opportunity and how do you know when the opportunity occurs? By the circumstances that you're in and the movement of the spirit which gives you unction to say something. It will tell you. And if you don't speak out, somebody else will. Merely because the unction from the royal HaKodesh has a message for that person that's standing before you. And that's why Paul Rav Shaul talks about some water, some plant, because it depends upon the timing. Let's read 2 Corinthians 6.14 again and listen to what it says.
1: Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion hath light with darkness? We're not supposed to separate
0: from them we're not we're not we're not we're supposed to not be unequally yoked with them we're not supposed to be plowing the same field putting us together with them and working the same field there needs to be a distinction we need to continue sharing god's word at the right place and at the right time and you when you know when the time is The right time when you're sensitive to the Spirit.
1: Hebrews four twelve says this: For the word of God is living and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart.
0: Now, as I begin to move into the last portion of the teaching, which you'll see, I'm only about a little over half of the verses. We're going to begin to really start reading a lot of scripture um, as we uh, approach the end of the message today. So let's turn our attention to Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20, which says this.
1: And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that i have commanded you and lo i am with you always even unto the end of age okay. it's very important to understand salvation and baptism how many know
0: that salvation's important how many know baptism's important read mark 16:16 16, 16. anyone have it somebody have mark 16:16 let's that just came to me right now let's look that up talking about generations talking about second third generation mark 16 16 it's in red letters red letters means what right michael uh taught on that he taught one time that all it takes is just read the red letters you want to start learning about who yeshua is just go through the Kodesha, the new testament read the red letters red letters says he that believeth he that believeth in what believeth in Yeshua he's speaking right he that believeth and is baptized it's not or is baptized it says he that believeth and is baptized now if you're an English uh, teacher or the first thing they teach you in law school is these 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 words that sort of combine things together these two words can't stand on their own believe and baptize can't stand on alone they go together if one fails the other fails they go together he that believeth and is baptized so you need to believe and you need to follow up with the profession of baptism what happens you may be saved you might be saved You shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. Well, why doesn't it say he that believeth not and not baptized shall be damned? Because you have to believe first before you get to the profession of baptism. You following? This is a very important verse that children and grandchildren need to understand we just read Matthew 28 18 through 20 which is the great commission to teach the meaning to those who believe in Yeshua you don't teach those who don't believe they're not teachable They need to accept, they need to receive the gospel of Yeshua first and be saved. You want an example of this? An Old Testament example? Just ask Noah. Just ask Lot. What they thought about this. Hebrews 5, 11 through 14 says this
1: of whom we have much to say, and hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. Though, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk, and not of solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. As a result,
0: there will be transgressions. 2 Peter 3 3 through 9
1: says this Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So stop
0: a second. So Hebrews 5 is talking about the, is how things begin to erode throughout the generations. And it's ultimately going to lead into what we read in 2 Peter. So you see this transition that's occurring between these verses. Different books, but the theme is there. Let's continue.
1: For this they willfully forget. That by the word of god the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished but being flooded with water but the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men but beloved do not forget this one thing that with the lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day the lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness But is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. They won't even believe or know about the story of Noah,
0: and which Noah describes through the teaching and through the the story of how God destroyed the earth and the reason why God destroyed the earth. So, how can this happen? How can there be a great falling away? By not teaching our generations God's words. And thus, we see the following outcomes. Proverbs
1: 28 verse 9 says this. One who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is is an abomination. You hear that? Your, Your prayers aren't even heard. What
0: does that do with law versus grace? I'm not under the law, I'm under grace. If you live the life under grace and you're not following the law, your ears are not hearing the law and you're not following the instruction. And your prayers are even an abomination to God. I think Michael read uh, last week, he brought up about the 613 commandments. He He read them. We've all, many of us have read them. They're not hard to follow. So why do people say that? Because there's spiritual rebellion. These instructions are not hard to follow. They're God's instructions for our benefit. The grace versus law goes to salvation. This shows people that are on milk. This grace law teaching is people on milk. They don't understand the depthness of the importance of grace versus law. There is nothing that we can do in works. You know, I'm, I'm going to pause here a second. I want to chase a rabbit. But you know this be all pure. you know, this was a God, a physical God, that they believed, that these pagans believed, that if you didn't please If you didn't woo this God, rain wouldn't come on the land. So you had to do all these things because they were an agricultural society, which was enticing to the children of Israel because they were agricultural. That that if you didn't do these things, then you wouldn't get God's attention and the rain wouldn't come. That's works. That's a perfect example of works. We don't have to work for anything for our salvation. We only get it through grace We could never work. Yeshua said our our righteousness, our ability to work would have to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. That's the message of grace versus law. Not throwing everything else out. We need to seek and be a part of God's remnant and to teach our future generations how they can join the ranks So, where is Yeshua and His second coming? Where is it? We've been waiting for 2,000 years. Well, you're right. And we may be waiting longer. No one knows but the Father. But we know one thing it's going to be a surprise. And it's going to be a surprise to all when he shows up. First Thessalonians 5, 1 through 6 says
1: this. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write unto you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a, as a thief in the night. For when they say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. So how are we to be like Pincus and Elijah? 2 Timothy 4, 2 through 5 says this. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke.
0: not all are pastors and not all are evangelists. But out of that fivefold ministry, you should teach. You should be able to teach. When you study God's word, when you become a disciple of Yeshua, you need to study his word and how do you demonstrate your understanding of the word by being able to teach what you've learned? And you teach it different ways. You can teach it through your actions and not even speak. You can teach through your actions of life to family and those around you who will listen. 2 Timothy three fourteen through 17 says this.
1: But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And
0: it is through this way of teaching others that you are looked at as separate 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10 says this.
1: But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, in his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who have called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy.
0: So if, you, if we are to be a separate people, among the nations how are you to act with actions that will teach or witness as to our faith in yeshua ephesians 5 1 through 21 says the following
1: therefore be imitators of god as dear children and walk in love as christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to god for a sweet smelling aroma but fornication, and all uncleanness, or covetousness, let it not even be named among you, as it is fitting for saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous, covetous man, who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ of God. and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience therefore do not be partakers with them for you were once darkness but now you are light in the word, in the Lord walk as children of light for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth finding out what is acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful work of darkness but rather expose them for it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done done by them in secret but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light for whatever makes manifest is light therefore he says awake you who sleep arise from the dead and Christ will give you light see then that you walk circumspectly not as fools but as wise redeeming the time because the days are evil therefore do not be unwise but understand what the will of the Lord is do not be drunk with wine in which it is dissipation but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting one to another in the fear of God. Now this is the way to act
0: as an end-time believer, not willing to be complacent or not willing to be open to compromise. So in closing, Zakar, remember 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12, which says this.
1: Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evil evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation.
0: Amen. It is our duty to praise the Master of all, to ascribe greatness to the Author of creation, for he has made us unlike the nations of the lands, and has not placed us like the families of the earth. He's not made our portion like theirs, and our lot like their multitudes. And we bend the knee and bow and acknowledge our thanks before the King over kings, the Holy One. Blessed be he. He stretches out heaven and establishes earth's foundation, and the seat of his glory is in the heavens above, and the presence of his power is in the most exalted heights. He is our God, there is none other. True is our king, there is nothing beside him, as it is written in his Torah, and you shall know this day and take to your heart that the Lord, he is God, in the heavens above and on the earth below there is none other. Amen. All right. Lord God, we worship you today. We honor you. We thank you for your word which comes forth to pierce our hearts, to convict, to drive us further to you, Lord God. We thank you, Lord, for